Hey, Providencia Church family, good evening. Wherever you are joining us tonight, if you're visiting with us online for the first time, just want to thank you for being here with us. And uh, for those of you who are part of our family, we're excited about this possibility of being together again soon in the same physical space. Our scripture tonight is coming uh, from the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you will, you need to probably grab a Bible. I'm going to um, see if anybody has one here. Yep. So you can take the same time it took for me to do this. And you're going to want to go to the book of Luke. Because we're going to be uh, reading about this parable. And I want you to be able to follow along with me exactly from the chapter. Which, Drew, do you know the chapter off the top of your head right now? Luke 10. Luke 10. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, they got deleted from my notes. Okay, so we are in Luke 10, and we are in uh, verses 25 to verses 37. Luke 10, chapter 25 to 37. So if you have your phone, bring it up on your phone, or if you have a Bible, bring it up on there. Okay, this is the reading of the Word of the Lord. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want to start off tonight just by emphasizing to each of you uh, that I have so much love for you. That I really do love you and uh, respect each of you. Um, we are talking tonight about this topic of reimagining family. And there's three points tonight that I want to talk to you about as we look at this text. The first is, who is getting daddy's money? When we think about reimagining family, 
Who is getting daddy's money? Who's getting the inheritance? Number two, the robbers on the other side of the road that can steal from us. And number three, to follow the tears to the true treasure for the family. To follow the tears to the true treasure for our family. There is a, an author, and I've mentioned him many times, named Willie Jennings. He wrote a book called The Christian Imagination, Theology, and the Origins of Race. It was published around 2011, and I became, came across him through some uh, lectures that he had done, and then uh, got involved in, in reading his book. And I, I know that it is a book that can have some theological depth to it, and it can be a little bit um, hard to, to trans to trans go, transgress all the nuances of the theology and understand it all. But um, he gets into things that are so important for us as a church um, to recognize, to wrestle with. And one of those things is that he unpacks history. He unpacks history for the church. And there's a question, and I'm quoting here from his book, why has Christianity, a religion premised upon neighborly love, failed in its attempt to heal societal divisions, social divisions. Why has Christianity, a religion premised upon neighborly love, failed in its attempt to heal social divisions? And in there he explores the late medieval soil that Christian imagination grew in, where along the way the church became wed together with the state, and this sick economic enterprise where we commodified black people for our profits. That the church, along with the state, wedded together, were a part of this transgression, a part of this enterprise. And that part of that has led to the division that exists today in our society. And this is something that we today as the church need to continue to wrestle with. Because at the root of it, the root of what the church got involved with was this thing called greed. And I can't answer all the questions and all the nuances of, of, of race uh, and racism in our culture today. I will uh, refer you to Jamar Tisby's work, The Color of Compromise. It is free now on Amazon Prime for a deeper study, and we are going to continue addressing uh, things around this issue for the next uh, weeks here. But this first question tonight, it's a family question, and that is, who is getting daddy's money? And this was the question of the teacher of law, the teacher of the law in verses 25 through 29. He is an expert in the law, that means he studies the Torah and he is studying this question, how shall we live? How should we live together? And it says there in verse 25 that he stood up. He stood up and he's going to face off with Jesus. He's going to test Jesus to see what is Jesus made of. Who is he really? Has he signed the same contracts, the same societal, the same religious contract that I have signed? Is he abiding by the ways in which I have been abiding by as to how I am to live my life. So we have to understand what's getting ready to be unpacked here 
what Jesus is getting ready to do is show this man something about himself individually. He's going to show this man something about himself individually, but he's also going to show him something corporately about his people that he has aligned himself with. But I want us also to understand that Jesus is going to reveal to us who he is through this story. So he's going to be showing us things about ourselves individually. He's going to be showing us things about ourselves corporately. And then Jesus is going to be showing us really who he is. And the question the teacher wants to know for him is what must he do to gain for himself? To gain what? To gain this inheritance. Now, inheritance is a word that we usually talk about around death in the family. When, when someone dies in the family, you get the inheritance. So it is a family idea when we talk about inheriting. It's a question for the family. Who is getting daddy's money? And there's a lot of pain in families around this question. It could be a lot of pain, especially if things haven't been really written out well and really clear. And people can get in fights with brothers and sisters and siblings, or they can begin to guess, why didn't I get what they got? So this can be a painful question. But this man in particular, he's asking about the inheritance of eternal life to live forever. And Jesus asks him two questions in return. Number one is, what does the law say? And number two, how do you interpret it? To the first question, the teacher of the law answers the first part, saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And here the teacher of the law is referencing Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5 and Leviticus 19 verses 17 and 18. Jesus himself will also give this same answer. When he is summarizing the law to some scribes, he quotes the same exact text and gives exactly the same answer. So this man knows the law and Jesus lets him know that he knows it says you have answered correctly. And then Jesus says, simply, do this and you shall live. Jesus doesn't say, do this and you will get the inheritance later after you die. He says, do this and you will have life right now. Right now, not in the after death, but right now in this life and you will continue to receive that life forever. Now, as I began studying and preparing this week for this text, I was thinking about, you know, the phrase Good Samaritan. And we have something here in our own city called Good Samaritan Hospital. There are other hospitals around the country called Good Samaritan Hospital. What some of you might know is that Good Samaritan Hospital uh, was started um, in 1920, it was, there was a hospital before that, but they renamed it Good Samaritan Hospital in 1920. And it was state-of-the-art. It was an incredible hospital for the city. And you would think for everyone in the city. 
But what you might not know unless you dug a little deeper into the history of hospitals in our city, into the history of segregation here in our city, is that five blocks away from Good Samaritan Hospital was started Pine Ridge Hospital. Now, Pine Ridge Hospital was the hospital in West Palm Beach for black people. So black people couldn't go to Good Samaritan Hospital. They had to go to Pine Ridge Hospital. And this is what one of the doctors said about Pine Ridge Hospital. He was one of the doctors who performed surgeries there. He said it was just old and third world. Instruments were a luxury. We'd do an operation and tell the nurses what they had to go get. They'd send a taxi to St. Mary's and we'd wait in the operating room until it got there. Now, if you, if you know a little bit about the history of West Palm, the people who, who were settling here, who were building community here, the, the first churches here in West Palm were black churches. They were the first ones building community here. So as you assume that there's more and more community here around the black church, they're the ones who are living here year-round. They're not traveling here back and forth seasonally. And as those people are building community, as they are an integral part of this city, there is a hospital created in the city. And you think about the black Christian community here in the city, and there's a hospital created here in this city. And these black Christians know the story of the Good Samaritan. And that there's a hospital here in West Palm Beach named Good Samaritan Hospital. But the black people in this city are not allowed to go there to be cared for. See, there is something that has happened in our culture. Something that's been infected in our culture for such a long time that it led us to the other side of the road for those of us who are part of the white majority culture. See, there are robbers on the other side of the road. There were the robbers in the ditch who took the man's clothes and, and, and left them there for dead, but there are robbers on the other side of the road. The thief of sin, the sin of omission. In verse 29, this man has quoted the law correctly. He has summarized it correctly. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. But it says in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. Now, why would he want to do that? Why would he want to justify himself? Because he knew there was a problem. His confession, what he claims he believes, is not in line with all of who he is. It's not in line to quote the, the law that he quoted, his heart, his soul, his mind, his muscles. There is something God has placed at the core of him, of who he is, that is still showing up in the midst of his broken system, in the midst of his lostness of himself and who he's called to be in the world. There's still this part of him that is saying that something is wrong, something is off with the way you're doing life. So he has to try to isolate that part because it is problematic. See, he's trying to deal with his guilt when he really needs to deal with his pain. And we're going to come back to that. He's trying to deal with his guilt by isolating it, by carpamentalizing carp carp his life when he really needs to deal 
with the pain. And Jesus tells us exactly where he has created this compartmentalization. Exactly where he has created this sin of omission. And it is in Jesus' question that he reveals it. He says, who is my neighbor? Or to put it another way, who is my family? In verse 30, we begin to see some of these characters as Jesus tells this story. He says, there's a man going down from Jerusalem. Now, was he part of my family or not as a teacher of the law? I'm trying to figure that out. Now, Jesus doesn't say he's Jewish. But he just says he's a man. So I'm kind of up for interpretation here. And then in verse 30, he goes on. It says that robbers attack him. Now, Jesus doesn't call them Samaritans. He doesn't call them Jewish people. He doesn't say who they are. Again, it's like, hmm, who are these people that have attacked him? And now, here comes finally the family members. Finally, some people that I can count on. People that are in my religious club, people that are a part of the family of God. In verse 31, a priest. Now, the priest is supposed to be with the people, but he passes on the other side of the road. And then verse 32, a Levite comes along. Remember the text that, that the, the teacher of the law quoted earlier from Leviticus. This is like from his people. He's a Levite. And he says, no, I, I too am going to pass on the other side of the road. See, both of these people, both of these people who are supposed to be in the family, are passing on the other side of the road. Now, now some have said that it was because of ceremonial rules that these religious leaders were not really supposed to be uh, close to someone who was dead. That, that would make them unclean. But there were exceptions in the law. There were exceptions that you were to care for somebody who was bleeding in the ditch. But they passed by. They were committing the sin of omission. The sin of compartmentalization. The sin of really avoiding our pain. Of avoiding our pain. See, we believe here at Providencia... Was Palm Beach, that the gospel affects every single aspect, every single part of your life. And to have the gospel be applied to every single part of your life is not a one-time event, but it is a lifetime journey of wrestling with God and wrestling with our pain. What we do with our pain as people, is probably one of the most important questions that we have to answer for. Because it leads to compartmentalization in our life. And it shows up throughout history in the garden when the man and the woman become one shortly after they sin, and Adam will blame Eve. He all of a sudden wanted to separate himself from the oneness. When Cain kills his brother Abel, and God goes and says, where's your brother? He's like, I don't know. He wants to separate from his family. He wants to compartmentalize his life. When Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh, he's okay with it. 
Until he realizes that the people who are enslaved, the people who are building the palace, are his family. That's the point where he begins to be upset. He begins to hear their cries. He begins to hear their tears. The creators of race and racial hierarchy in the medieval times wanted to build their palaces, wanted to help nations build their power and expand their empires, wanted them to work their farms, to bring in these slaves to do that, these dark-skinned people. But to do that, they had to compartmentalize. They had to ease the guilt. And this is some of the things that Willie gets into in his book, of the ways in which we had to separate ourselves from these people. I had to make them less human. But the problem is in doing that and separating from their land and separating them from their geography and separating them from their families and dehumanizing them, we actually end up dehumanizing ourselves. And today in this country, not only with the issue of racism, but with the issue of the dollar, with the issue of greed, what I call capitalism on steroids, that literally companies are driven just by the idea that they exist to make the most money possible. Friends, if you are a Christian, you have to take that idea. If you have bought into that idea, you have to take that to Scripture, and you have to wrestle with God, because I promise you, that is not the ideal. That is not the ethic that God lays out in Scripture. So here in our church, we're trying to wrestle with these things. And there's a massive cultural movement happening right now. And, and I'm trying to address it, but I also want you to know, and this is why I told you at the beginning that I love you, is that I know that many of you are working through some intense personal pain right now. And you're seeing things on the news, and it's like you can't even handle it. Because you have so much going on already in your own world that you're just trying to survive right now. And I just want to encourage you that that's part of being a part of this body. Is that some of us are in a place where we are able to be engaged. And we are engaged on behalf of you. That we're trying to learn together. And we want to share with you what we're learning. So as you come up for air, that we can share and talk about those things. But also that we can be with you in your suffering. So we are trying as a church to create this ecosystem, if you will, that creates a space. Remember I said about pain, what we've done with our pain? A space where you can actually talk about your pain. So for some of us in this conversation around race, we may have been hurt by someone from another race. We may have been hurt by somebody from another nationality. We may have been hurt by somebody of a different gender. We may have been hurt by somebody who has a, a higher socioeconomic status than us. You may have pain in your life from one of these other areas that is so glaring for you. It is so large, it's hard for you to even see, to even wrestle with these things. And I just want you to know that's, that's one of the reasons why we have Story Group. That's one of the reasons why we have the conversation. It's one of the reasons why we have University working to help you with finding a job. It's also one of the reasons that we want to make funds available to you that if you need counseling to wrestle with one of these issues, that we want to make that available for you. Because your pain is legitimate. 
and we want you to have healing in this space in your life. We want to have healing, and that is a process, that is a journey. We're not making that a fast pace for you. You do that at your pace. But we want to have real community here. And oftentimes the community that I even talk about or I preach about, I know that sometimes we may taste it. But it is hard for us to live into it week in and week out. It is something that we are wrestling against. And I want to tell you that it has to do somewhat with with this social, societal compartmentalization that we are up against, that we have suburbs, that we have these things that keep us apart. So it's not just our own sin. It's not just our own pain. There are also societal systems that make it a struggle for us to really live in community. It is a battle. And this is my last story as I, I close this out on the last part of our, our text here. Is that yesterday I had the distinct privilege to march uh, with many of you. It wasn't the first time I marched. Uh, a church I grew up in, Chattanooga, Tennessee. They taught me. Uh, they took me out, showed me when I was younger, high school and college. My family's done this before. But never at such a heightened moment have I been a part of a protest before. And yesterday I got to uh, walk with uh, Angel and Indira and their, their little one. And, and we kind of walked at the back because their little one was in a stroller. So we met at uh, the zoo, and we started down southern heading uh, east. And as we were passing the published grocery store there, there was this older uh, black woman. Uh, I assumed that she was a grandmother. And she was sitting there, and she had her hand in the air. And she was like she was blessing us. And she just kept saying to us, thank you. Thank you, every one of you. And there was tears just streaming down her face. And I lost it. I lost it. I was trying to keep on walking. I told Angel and Dear, I was just trying to keep it together. That this woman will be blessing us. That there was over a hundred of years of pain in this woman's eyes. And yet at the same time, their eyes were also filled with hope. That somehow, in some way, these young people that I was following were headed in the right direction. That in some way, somehow, they were bringing healing and hope for her and her life. And so we kept marching. And we got to, to the bridge that goes up and over a Parker in Georgia there. And the whole bridge was completely covered by the protests. It was a big group of people, probably 2,000 people maybe. And I didn't know what was happening, but all of a sudden, uh, people like dominoes just started falling in front of me. And then I got it. Everybody was laying down, face down on the pavement, hands behind their backs, heads turned to the side, faces pressed onto the concrete. That we were assuming the position that George Floyd had, had died in when he was crying out. And it was complete silence. The only thing that you could hear was the helicopters humming in the air. And I sat there and I felt the concrete grinding into my cheeks. I felt my shoulders begin to burn. I have something where my shoulders dislocate. So it felt as if somebody was actually holding my, my hands together. But there was nobody on my back. But there was weight there. And it was the weight of privilege for me 
that has kept me from the tears of my family here in this country for too long. That was the weight that I had missed seeing the people, the people who had been robbed that were in the ditch, that those were my people, that those were my family, that those were my friends. And as I sat there with my face on the pavement, my tears filled my sunglasses, not just for the pain that we have caused other people, but for the pain that we have had of missing out on being connected, on loving our brothers and sisters, that we have missed out. In verse 33, the 37, we must follow the tears to the treasure. And in verse 33, the Samaritan, the one who was ostracized by, by Jewish culture and oppressed, when he went by, verse 34, when he went by, he came close to the man in the ditch. He came close to his wounds, to his pain. And then he leveraged his resources to care for the man left in that ditch for dead. The man discarded by society. He came close. And in verse 35, he gives generously. And then he invites another man, this innkeeper, into loving this man with him and promises compensation to him. We have no idea what nationality the innkeeper is. But this Samaritan is inviting this innkeeper into this corporate responsibility of loving those who are hurting, loving those who have been beat up, loving the vulnerable in our society. Because see, as we follow the tears to the treasure. It is often the oppressed, it is often the vulnerable whose tears we must follow. And what they showed me yesterday is that not only have I missed out, but that we have missed out. That we have missed out on the black and brown voices here in the church. Not just in society at large, but here in the church. Malcolm X said that the most segregated day of the week, hour of the week, was Sunday morning in the church. So Jesus is revealing something in us that we as a people are called to grieve. And that these people, the people yesterday, these young people, many of them African Americans, were the one leading me in grieving. They were the ones who showed me the pain. And that in doing so, that we can move towards healing and towards rebuilding a world where all may flourish. It calls all of us to repent. And Jesus reveals to his family how they have missed it. He reveals to this teacher of the law how he has missed it. And Jesus also, as I said, reveals to us something about himself. That he loves like that Samaritan. 
that Jesus loves like that Samaritan. That he's in solidarity with that Samaritan. Despite the societal norms that told him, as a Jewish man, you do not associate with Samaritans. You do not associate with women, Samaritan women especially. Because of Jesus' love, because of who he is, he does it anyway. He moves through that to show us a new way. His tears lead us. See, we keep leaving each other in the ditch. And Jesus keeps saying, if you want to find me, you'll find me in the ditch. Stop running from the ditch, church. Stop running from the pain. Go there. That Jesus meets us there. The true wealth and riches of Jesus are there in the ditch. He tells us that is where life is. That we are to be close to those who are suffering. Because that is who he is. Let us pray.